the attributes of God again. And so, you know, we, we've covered the last year and a half or so, maybe a little longer than that, almost two years, the, the ten attributes that we talk about here at Heritage Trail, but there's also uh, many other attributes as well, too, that kind of, you know, spin off of the, the ten attributes, and I really just wasn't ready to be done studying God's attributes. So when I was talking to Pastor about what to do next, and we just decided, well, let's, let's try to, I mean, I can try to maybe do a few more of these. So I think it, it'll be encouraging. It's been really encouraging for me, so hopefully that, uh, that you, you'll see the same. But if we take a look at, um, we think about the goodness and the, the idea of someone being good or, or something being good, we hear that term uh, thrown around a lot. You might think of the, just even from the human earthly perspective about an athlete being a, a good athlete. We, we talk about that, and, or you talk about maybe a, a crafter, or you go to a craft show or a trade show, and uh, you look at an artisan or a crafter, and you just, you're, you're amazed at how good of an artisan they are, whether it be uh, pottery making or you know, glass blowing or whatever the case might be. So we, we throw that term around, and we think about terms like, well, that person's really a good egg, or, or that's, uh, that they're just a good person. And, and uh, you think about that perspective, and, well, there, there certainly are aspects of that from the human earthly perspective of people being good at their, their trade or good at their craft or being a good person, per se, as the world would look at it. Ultimately, we, uh, there's no person that's, that's good from the Lord's perspective or, or the idea of perfect goodness. So you have this idea of, or there might be this idea of moral goodness or, or from an earthly perspective what goodness might be but ultimately what I want to get into today is is taking a look at God and his perfect goodness in the standpoint of that his goodness God's goodness is perfect it's eternal it's unlimited and it's, it's something that that we will never have based upon the fact that we have an inherent sin nature but we will ultimately be in a state, if we've, we're saved and we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we will ultimately uh, be in a state in, it, in the eternity future where we'll be with God, with perfect goodness. So um, I guess I'd like to do today, we, the, the title of my message is God is so good. We could, you could have that as a title for, for many messages, frankly. Uh, His way is perfect or God is so good. But uh, I just thought we'll just keep it simple here this morning. So as, as we get into our, our lesson here, we just have been talking about the attributes of God and just kind of a quick reminder of these attributes is that it's a quality or characteristic that uh, belongs to a person, thing, or group. And ultimately, we've looked at the fact that man's attributes or characteristics are, are ever-evolving and changing, but God's characteristics are complete. They're, they've been from beginning to end. They've always existed, and they are limitless. And, and that definition or that explanation by Tozer there, an attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true of himself. I just wanted to kind of make sure we kind of get that into our framework as, as we're starting. We've seen these 10 attributes of God as we've, we've kind of walked through over the last several months. And uh, we look at even his righteousness there, kind of the definition of righteousness being perfect goodness. And, and we, we also, I have this slide here as well too that I had done before where, where it talks about 
goodness, his love kind of encompasses his goodness, his grace, and his, God's mercy. So, so in a way that, you know, it's interesting because all these attributes do such a good job of tying back to the other one. But just kind of keep that in mind here as we're going through our study today, taking a look at God's goodness and, and how, and we'll even have one of the, the discussion points. We'll talk about how it, that goodness comes through the other attributes of God. So it's kind of a little backdrop there. So the, the verse that we went through um, last was uh, Deuteronomy 32.4, and it says, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all of his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So that was the last three attributes that we covered was justice, truth, and righteousness. And it was interesting as I was looking at that verse and just kind of rereading some of my lesson notes over the last several weeks, I saw, and upright is he at the end of that, and, and the uprightness, or upright is another uh, word for God's goodness. So I, it's interesting to see how that goodness was also tied into that, that verse, something that I hadn't really pulled out from my notes uh, until I just started studying the, the goodness of God. And um, the, the second, uh, the, a couple verses here that I'd like to kind of keep on our forefront as we move forward for these next two weeks. I'll be here speaking next Sunday as well. Uh, pastor's uh, at a, on a, away on a trip in the, in the Boundary Waters, so um, he's coming back, I think, next Saturday or, or something, so probably wouldn't be fair for him to come out of the Boundary Waters after a week and have to speak. So um, I'm going to speak on God's mercy as well, too, next week. But So just a couple of verses that we, we think about here is, uh, I'll give thanks to the Lord in Psalm 107. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And uh, we'll, we'll expand on that verse a little later in our lesson. But I'll also talk about that next week a little bit as well, too. And then the other verse that I had here is Exodus 34, 5 and 6. It's all, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. So you see five different attributes of God there in that last statement at the end of verse 6. So I guess just a couple of verses that we want to be thinking about and contemplating as we're, we're moving forward here, uh, thinking about God's goodness and, and really kind of diving into what his goodness is and, and what it means to each and every one of us. So definition. The definition that God is, is good. The idea of goodness is, is the uh, state or quality of being good. Um, moral excellence, uh, virtue, ex- moral excellence or vir- virtue, there should be a comma there, and then kindness and generosity. Uh, these are all terms that talk about the goodness of God. Uprightness was, a, was another one that, that, that we saw that I just mentioned earlier. So God's goodness essentially is the collective perfection of his nature and the benevolence of his acts. So you think about that, the collective perfection of his nature is all of his attributes. So each and every one of God's attributes collectively make up his goodness. And that's the idea here. Um, I I had a conversation with uh, Dave Sandstrom about just the idea of the goodness of God really... you know, we were talking about the fact of, of what, what, is, what is God's greatest attribute. And, and he, you know, he, he said he had come across something that talked about the goodness of God, um, you know, 
being that that attribute that that permeates all the other attributes. And so I like this this definition here. God's goodness is the collective perfection of his nature, his complete nature, all of these attributes, and the benevolence of his acts. So you see here that God's goodness comes through in all of his other attributes as, as we... Um, as we look at through this and expand our lesson here. In Psalm 119.68, it says, you are good, and you do good. So essentially, what is that saying? That God is good in his nature and good in what he does. And we see that. It's incredibly simple. So we see that all the time. We see the fact that he's, he's good in his nature. He's good in his creative work. He's good in what he does. We look at it from the standpoint of what does God think about us? He, he has our best interests in mind. He has, um, he has the fact that he is on our side. He is for us. He is not against us. He is a deep care and concern for us as a shepherd has for his sheep. And uh, it's funny that Brent picked that song, hymn number 612. I actually had that in my notes here. So how good is God to us? You know, and I, I have that hymn 612 in the blue book says that he's, he died for me. We just sang it. God answers prayer. He'll come again. I love him so. I think a better statement there is he loves me so. Uh, that's, that's how I think we should sing that song is he loves me so. Um, I love him so is subjected to our, our whims and our, um, you, know, you know, when we get all of a sudden our attitude is, is poor or whatever, uh, we, we might not be saying that I love him so, but he unconditionally loves us so. Um, I'll do his will. He's coming soon. You could add, I praise his name. He cares for me. You, you could, you, we, could, we could make that, uh, that song quite long. We could just keep singing that song and have a bunch of different, uh, different principles about how the fact that God is so good to us. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see. We, we have this idea of God and his, it's kind of like a baseline. Pastor and I were talking about it the other day, the, the fact of God's goodness. And I thought he, we were just kind of brainstorming. I, I had kind of thrown out that it, to me it's like a, when, you, when you're young and you have, did you ever have a boomerang when you were young? You, know, you see all the throwing a boomerang. I, I my dad had got me this boomerang when I was, <laughs> and I, I tried to throw that thing. It would never come back to me. You know, you try to throw it and it just, but so I kind of was using the, so I can't use myself throwing a boomerang as a good example of, but I, I was just thinking about you watch somebody who knows how to throw a boomerang and they throw it and it comes right back to you, right? Um, you think about uh, even a, a homing or a messenger pigeon or something along, you know, they, they send out and it, it comes right back to, to where it came from. And I, I, I was telling, explaining that to pastor that I, I kind of feel like that's how God's goodness is, is regardless of what's going on in our life, you know, the, 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 the ups and the downs, the, God's goodness is like this straight, it's like a baseline, it's like a, a benchmark, just that everything always comes back to God's goodness. And we can have everything happening around us, we can have whatever the case, any sort of trial or, or situation that, that might be, be wrapping around us or, or consuming our mind, but ultimately that baseline or that benchmark is God is good. All the time, 
God is good, right? That, that's, he, he's always good to us. His, his very character and nature is goodness. So we look at it from that standpoint, and I, just, I, I thought that was just kind of interesting. It's, it's almost like a, you think about a, a science a principle of equilibrium, or everything kind of comes back to an equilibrium. And that's, you, know, you just kind of think about that. Of course, every analogy that you think about always has holes that can be poked in it. But I, you just think about the fact that God is good all the time. He's, and all the time, God is good. That's a quote that I've seen in a movie or whatever that talks about that. So the idea we think about it as we look through the, the, the timeline of eternity that's, that's laid out in the Bible, in the Word of God, it, it's pretty easy to, it, it happens fairly quickly. You can take a look at this uh, in the first chapter of Genesis. God is good from eternity past to eternity future. And if you, you don't have to open your Bibles there, but in Genesis chapter 1, um, we've, I've done many studies on, on Genesis at, at camp, creation at camp, which is, for the young kids has always been a very encouraging study. But you look at the six days, uh, the first events in history that are recorded in the Bible, we know that God existed because he's eternally existed from eternity past into eternity future. But the first recorded events of, of, of God's, that, that God allowed to be revealed are Genesis chapter 1. And it talks about his creative acts. And, and you look at God's creation, and, and one thing that I've pulled out of God's creative acts, and, and, and you take a look at that, you know, in, in you know, day 1 he, he created, day 2, day 3, six days of creation, the seventh day he rested. But you look at uh, Genesis 1-9, it says, And God said, let the waters in the heavens be gathered. And it was so at the end of the verse. And then at the end of verse 10, it says, and God saw that it was good. That was after his third day. And then after the fourth day in, in verses uh, 14 and 15, God said it was so and it was good. So you have this idea, God said it, it was so, it was matter of fact, and it was good. And then you close out chapter 1, and it says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So, so at the, from the beginning of the Bible, everything was very good. Essentially, you can think about God's attribute of goodness is essentially one of the first attributes here that's talked about in the, 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 the word of God. Obviously, his sovereignty and omnipotence, the idea of this creative, this God above all, this Lord God Almighty creating um, earth, all the acts of creation, really speaks to his sovereignty and his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature. However, so those attributes as well, again, tie in with the, the goodness of God here. Um, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21-4, so we know what happened. It was all very good. Adam and Eve fell uh, in the garden. Man sins in the garden. Uh, all of creation groans, as it says in Romans uh, chapter uh, 8, verse 22 or, or so. You have this idea of everything was perfect. There's a fall. Man falls. And, and, and sin is in the world now. Sin is in the world. But you close, you, you bookend the Bible. Again, the recorded uh, events in the future of Revelation chapter t- um, 21, and it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. So this idea that sin and, and, and darkness and evil is all cast away, and we're restored. The new heavens and new earth will be restored to perfect 
goodness. So ultimately, you have these bookends of God's goodness. And in the middle, there's, there's, there's trials. In this world, we know there's going to be trial and tribulation. And, but God, in his sovereign plan, has said that do not fear, because he has overcome the world. So, so we have to remember that as we think about all the twists and turns and trials and tribulations in our life, we have to ultimately remember and come back to this perspective, that, that equilibrium perspective that God is good all the time. In all the time, God is good. God allows things to happen to us. While we may not like them, we may not enjoy them. We may not have a lot of um, you know, pleasure going through those circumstances. But again, we have to think of the principle in Romans 8.28 that says all things work together for good. We have to have faith and trust in that principle. Can you see the goodness in trials in your life? You know, it's, it, yeah, you, you can't. Sometimes you can't. Your perspective is, and, and we're, we're all guilty of that. It, it's hard to do that. But oftentimes, if you look back at different circumstances or situations or trials or disappointments that might have happened in your life through the years, as you get a little bit older, you, you get a little bit wiser, um, the Lord maybe reveals some things to you, you might realize that maybe some of those reasons that you didn't get your way, so to speak, or things didn't go exactly how I wanted them to go, you might be able to look back and say, hmm, I know why that happened, Lord. You, you can see how the Lord was protecting you. You can see the goodness that came through these various different things. And we can all, we can all point to different things. I'm not going to, you know, bring up specific situations. I'm just asking you to think about that because I, I guarantee you the older you get, the more you can see how the Lord was protecting you in an area where maybe when you first went through that situation that, you know, I, I'm really kind of upset or I'm really kind of bothered by that. But later on you might see how the Lord in his goodness was allowing things to work together for good. And, and ultimately, that's the Christian life, right? That, that's, that's that moment-by-moment moment rest and reliance, and, and we're not always going to get it right, but that doesn't mean that God kicks us to the curb and says, I'm done with you, right? He says no. He says, I, I'm, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a loving God, he's a forgiving God, and, and we just have to you know, set that off to the side and, and not look back with, uh, with regret and wallow in the, uh, the mire, but know that... God is always for us, he's always with us, and he always wants us to be, to be moving forward, not looking back on things in life that have maybe not gone the way that we wanted them to go. So, as always with these uh, attributes, I like to look at the, the different names of God, like Brent said, and it was interesting as I went through his goodness, I didn't really find any of the, uh, the, the, the Jehovah names or the L names about his goodness. Uh, but I did find a couple as I, I was going through this. Um, God is actually called goodness in the Bible. In, in, in Psalm 144, the writer of this psalm says, 144, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, so the Lord is called my strength, which teacheth 
teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He's also called my goodness. So the Lord is called my goodness and my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer. So we think of my shield. All these things are really names of who God is, not in the standpoint of the, what the, the Hebrew would say in the Old Testament or, or, or any of the, the, the Greek names of God in the New Testament. But I thought that that was an interesting little takeaway, that God is called my goodness here in, by the writer of this psalm. Um, what else here? He's called the good shepherd in, in John chapter 10. It says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. So we have a God who is a good shepherd who cares about each and every one of us, and that's his, that's his very core nature, is that he, he cares for us, that he is like the shepherd chasing after the sheep and, and rounding up the sheep. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. And we are, I am fully known and fully understood and accepted and loved by God. And what encouragement that would be, that should be for each and every one of us as we take a look at God's names through the fact of his goodness here. So I guess what I'd like to do next is I kind of went through and and just kind of broke out some different truths about God's goodness. Now, there's no, there's no magic to this. Uh, there's, you know, I have about six truths of God's goodness. Now, there's probably more than six. I'm sure there is. There's, there's infinite numbers. Well, we, we only have a certain amount of time uh, here this morning, so I tried to break it down into some of the truths of God, God's goodness that stood out to me, that the Holy Spirit kind of revealed to me. So if you want to open up your Bibles to the, the book of Mark, let's look at Mark chapter 10 to start out. As we take a look at some of the truths of God's goodness here this morning. Mark chapter 10, now this is the parable of the rich young ruler. There's, I think there's equivalent or similar passages in Matthew and uh, Luke as well, if I remember right. Um, but Mark chapter 10, we'll start in verse 17. So the first principle here that we want to get across in this, if we truth about God's goodness is God's goodness is the standard, or or what I had put in parentheses in my notes, but I didn't have it on the PowerPoint, is that the idea of that the source of perfect goodness is God. That's what we have to remember. The source of perfect goodness is God, and God's goodness is the standard. So in Mark chapter ten, verse seventeen, it says, "Now as he was running out, going out on the road." One came now. He is the um, he he is going out. One came running. So he is is uh, Jesus Christ here. Um, was going out on the road. One came running. The rich young ruler knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life?" So Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know that." You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my mouth. 
And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the idea here is this man, this rich young ruler, comes before God, who he doesn't know as God at the time, and uh, he has all these things. He has riches, he has youth, he has power, um, but he has a big... Excuse me, is a big thing missing, a big void in his life. So, this man thought he was asking this question of a human teacher. So, God is instructing him that um, the source of all goodness is not in man or man's accomplishments, the source of all goodness is God. God, not man, is essentially, absolutely, and consummately good. And he goes on further to say uh, later that, that his salvation, you know, this, this rich young ruler says, well, I've kept all these elements of the law. And, uh, he's, and, and God instructs him that your salvation is not by the law. Your salvation is explained in verse 21 where it says, take up the cross, follow me, believe on me. Uh, that's ultimately what his self, so that's what he was getting across to the rich young ruler. But, but the principle here that I wanted to pull out is, the source of goodness, the source of this perfect goodness comes from God. Now, this rich young ruler thought he was talking to a, just a, a good, quote-unquote, earthly good man. He didn't realize that he was talking to the Son of God in his uh, uh, earthly form uh, on earth. So, the source of goodness, perfect divine goodness, is God. It's not human feelings. It's not our emotions or anything like that. It's not, not what we would define as goodness. And, and of course, here's where you, you start thinking about an analogy. And uh, of course, every analogy breaks down at some point. But I, I, have to, I was thinking about the idea of a parent instructing their child about the merits of eating their fruits and vegetables or, or vegetables. Like, let's just take, for example, beets and peas. Now, versus cookies or ice cream. Now, I don't even know why a parent would instruct their child to eat beets and peas. Um, they certainly don't taste good. We all can agree that beets taste like dirt. I mean, let's be realistic. <laughs> Fortunately, my mother was not one to force me to eat beets, and I've never forced my children to eat beets. But anybody that eats beets, I'm sorry. I, I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands because... I'm going to probably think a little less of you if you say, yeah, I like beets. So, I mean, they completely taste like dirt. But, and peas, not a big fan of peas either. But, so we look at beets and peas and say, now this is just an Eric thing, of course, but now what, why wouldn't we want to eat cookies and ice cream, right? I mean, their cookies and ice cream taste way better. Um, beets and peas certainly don't taste good. They certainly don't even look good. And uh, they won't give you any good feelings eating them. I just, I can't even believe that. But our parents and people who have our health in mind, allegedly that they're good for you, better than cookies and ice cream. And they probably are. I'm not going to discount that. So is there evidence that a well-balanced diet uh, of vegetables and fruits, yes, even beets and peas, is probably better for you than eating cookies and ice cream? Yeah, I think there's definite evidence of that. So we would say that our parents... Uh, like God, have a deep 
care and concern for our own well-being. So that's why our parents, when we look at it, we, we should say, yeah, they're not trying to force us to just uh, do this to torture us. Although, how many of us have actually taken out the squash and baby food and fed it to our kids when they're infants and watched them make that funny face? We've all done that. I know we've all done it. So, But the, the idea here is the perfect goodness comes from God. It, it doesn't come from our own feelings or emotions about a a certain situation it comes that perfect divine goodness is has its source in god in james 1 16 and 17 it says do not be deceived my beloved brethren every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning so the idea here is sin evil does not find its source in God. And God does not participate in sin and evil. He participates in goodness. His very character is goodness. It's against his very natural nature for God to participate in sin and evil. So this is the million-dollar question right here. This is what happens uh, if, you've, if you've had a chance to talk to people about the Lord through the years, or you, you're, you come across situations, and this is what, I didn't want to even talk about this and, and even address it, because it's, it's so hard to address from a standpoint of the logical question that somebody will eventually ask you, if you talk about the fact that God is so good, um, if your God is so good, Eric, why does God allow bad things to happen to people? Why does God allow cancer? Why does God allow death? Why does God allow abuse? You, 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 you run across the gamut of, of any of those things. And, and I guarantee you, if you've talked to people through, I mean, I'm 51 years old, and, and uh, by no means am I, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, I, yeah, I need a lot of prayer in that area of sharing the gospel with others, um, like I'm sure a lot of us do. But, you know, I've had the chances over the years to share the gospel with different people and, and uh, different coworkers, different people I've come across. And, and ultimately, you know, you, you talk about, you, you come across maybe an atheist who says, well, there's no God. Well, we know what Psalm 14 says about an atheist. The fool said, in his heart there is no God. Um, but you think about somebody who genuinely says, well, how can you say God is good? Somebody that maybe um, just, just lost a child, you know? How can you say God's good? Those are, those are tough things. You know, we, we have, I'm sure each and every one of us here knows, even maybe has had a family member that has had to bury a child. And I, I say this all the time, nobody should have to bury a child. We're, we're seeing in the world as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, how how can we say that how how does somebody when you how do you combat that and say god is good all the time now the reality is is i think the key is to come back to the fact that this statement here that sin and evil does not find its source in god, god man sinned right in the garden so ultimately god created man with a he created us with a free will and a volition. God didn't create robots. I, I've said this before many times. If God wanted to create robots, that was too easy. 
Creating robots, a bunch of numbskulls and, uh, like us and, and electrical engineers and mechanical engineers and whatever can create robots. I mean, that, that's easy. So God didn't want to create robots. He gave each and every one a free will and a volition. So with that free will, there's choices that are made. And obviously, Adam and Eve made that choice in the garden, and, and sin entered in the world. So now sin is in the world. Sin is a part of this world. And, and God allows things to happen. He doesn't... They don't have its source, these things that happen, these um, terrible things that happen that we can't even explain to people um, that, that have gone through such trials and tragedies. Uh, you, you can't even imagine it. Um, but can good come out of these horrific circumstances? Well, Again, we look at the Bible being the inspired word of God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Well, if we believe that, and we do, I do, then you have to look at the word of God in totality and say, well, God promises that all things will work together for good. doesn't say that all things will be good but they'll work together for good. And, and again, these are tough conversations to have, and I, like I said, I, I wrestled with this over the last two weeks about how much to even talk about it, but I, I just felt like that's the logical progression. If you say God is good, well, how does God allow, why does he allow bad things to happen? The reality is, is there's many things in our world that are not good. And we see it. We see it every day. There's many things in our world that are not good. And, and I'm not even going to talk speci- about any specifics, but you all know it. You see it. There's many things in your life that are not good. But it's not because God is not good. It's because man is not good. You know, we're, we're the dirty, rotten sinners in, in this deal. And God is a loving God that, that gave us the, the, the path to um, success by, and, and the path to ultimate um, an eternity with him in heaven by sending his son down to earth uh, to pay the penalty that we deserved. So ultimately, that's all I could come back to on this. And, and I know it's a, a, a very poor explanation, but ultimately, I think that as a believer, as a Christian, you have to, I, I think if you get posed with that question, you just point back to the fact that sin and evil does not have its source in God. And God is not, could could God eliminate sin and evil? Well, he, yes, and he will. He will eliminate sin and evil. We see that at the, at, you know, when ultimately in the, the book of Revelation, when, when, we're, when new heaven and new earth is created, he is going to put down sin and evil. It's going to be eliminated. Um, but in the meantime, we live in a sin-cursed world, and we do. And that's just the reality of the situation. And we are going to go through circumstances and situations in each and every one of our lives that will not be fun and will be hard. Um, but ultimately, th- this stuff that happens doesn't happen because God is good. It happens because man is no good. God has our best interests in mind. He's on our side. We have to come back to that fact that God is good all the time, all the, good, all the time God is good. So what's the second truth about God's goodness? We see that his goodness is expressed in his other attributes here. Well, let's just go through it. We went through this verse already. We see his goodness expressed in his immutability. James 1.17, all good things come from God. What does it say at the end of that verse? There is no variation in God. There is no variation or shadow of turning. We saw this when we went through the 
the attribute of immutability, that God does not change. So all good things come from God, good God, things do not change. Uh, what about his sovereignty and omnipotence? We had the song El Shaddai, we, the, the Lord God Almighty. The word that comes from the Hebrew word, Shad, and we've covered this already, so I'm going through this a little quickly. Um, but it's, uh, the word, Hebrew word means sustainer, supplier, nourisher here. So we have this idea that God sustains us, he supplies us, he nourishes us, he cares for us. Um, and that ultimately points to his kindness and his generosity, other, other names, words for his goodness here. Um, what about his omnipresence? God is always with us. We saw that when we went through the attribute of omnipresence. He's always with us. And so is his perfect goodness is always with us. Again, think about that baseline. Everything comes back to the fact of God is good. How about his love? We think about his unconditional love for us. We saw that at the start of the the lesson here about the, the fact that his love, his attribute of love, kind of spines out to, to his goodness, his grace, and his mercy here. But we think about his unconditional love for us. He extends the greatest example of his goodness to us. And what is that example? Well, that example is him dying on that cross for our sins. So we have this idea that our human goodness, it says in in, uh, Isaiah 64, it says our human goodness, all of our righteousness, our human goodness are what? They're filthy rags. It says in Romans 3.12, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So we have this idea that it's really clear, it's really evident. We, we can see it every day. We're all sinners. It doesn't take much for us to figure out that we're all sinners. Each and every one of us is a sinner. Even those cute little babies. I was at a grad party yesterday and saw these cute little babies. Uh, and, and uh, you know, every one of those cute little babies is a dirty, rotten sinner. We're born sinners. And it doesn't take long for each and every one of us to see that in our own self, right? We're all sinners. So... It says, and God has, has, a, has a perfect plan of salvation. So he says, um, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So because God is a perfectly righteous God, he cannot, he cannot fellowship with sinners. So he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is a perfectly righteous and just God, and he demands payment for that sin. A penalty must be paid, and that penalty is death. But what does God do? God says, you know what? Everything that these people, my creation, they they can't measure up. They can't... uh, they're not going to be able to to, uh, accomplish it on their own. So he says he's also a God of love. He's a loving God, and he says, I sent my son. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, down to earth. He gave his son, um, but God demonstrates, commends his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he sends his son down to earth to take that place on the cross, and he hangs on that cross, and all the sins, past, present, and future, of each and every person that's ever lived, were hung on Jesus on that cross. And he died for our sins. And he died, he was buried, but three days later, he rose again. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he ascended up into heaven. And ultimately, we, can be sa- we are saved 
And we can enter into eternal life by placing our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We have no part in it. There's a, our part, we have, we have one small part. Believe it, right? Accept it. Accept the free gift. In, in, uh, in John 11, uh, 25 and 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I'm in the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, have a physical death, he shall live. And he, whosoever, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die or experience second death. Do you believe this? That's the question that was asked. It's a simple question. It's a simple, all, you, all we need to do to accept this free gift of salvation is believe it. Take it. Receive it. Say, I believe that. It's that simple of a plan. You know, it's interesting. We, I think every time you, you have an opportunity to, to speak, whether it be at camp or whether it be with, uh, you know, VBS, Sunday school, up here on the pulpit, um, even in a group of uh, people where you, you don't know Maybe you're just having a little Bible study or something, or you don't know everybody there, whether they're saved or not. And it's just interesting. I, I heard a story yesterday at the grad party I was at that, that uh, one, of the, um, one of the young girls that was there had come to camp last year, and she was 13, 14 years old, and grew up in a Christian family, saved family her whole life. You know, parents are saved at a young age shared the gospel with her many times. And, and I heard the story yesterday at this grad party that, that that girl got saved at camp last year. And you think about the importance of sharing the gospel with others and repeatedly doing it. And you know, here's, here's a young girl who spent her whole life in a family that, you know, shared the gospel with her Christian parents, and she tells her parents that she got saved at camp last year at 13 or 14 years old. So the reality is, is we don't know when people are going to get saved, but ultimately we know that God's word does not return void. And I think the importance of just having a clarity on the gospel and sharing the gospel with others and repeatedly sharing the gospel you think about the different ministries, you know, how important that is. It's unbelievable. It's good stuff. You think about God's goodness and the expression of his goodness that he has ourselves on his mind when he hung on that cross. You think of the fact that he thought about each and every one of us God's a good God. All right, you've got to get off of that. Truths about God's goodness. So we saw that his goodness is the standard. We saw that his goodness is expressed in his other attributes. And we see that God's goodness supersedes the negative. It overcomes, it overpowers, it exceeds the negative. God never fails. In Psalm 52, 1, it says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. 
God's goodness never fails. It endures continually. We saw this already. Romans 8.28, For all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I said this already, but I'll say it again. I, I, I read this quote somewhere. This isn't my quote. I, I don't specifically know who said this. I think it might have been, don't quote me on it. I don't know who it was, but it was, it was somebody, it was a, a, a speaker, a preacher, who was asked after one of the tragedies that happened, whether it was 9-11 or, or uh, some sort of tragedy, major tragedy. He was, he was interviewed on a, on a talk show, um, and I just, I came across this. I think it might have been Billy Graham, not 100% sure, but he, he said, we certainly can't explain why tragedies happen because somebody said, how, how does God allow these things to happen? But I, I just thought this was really good. We certainly can't explain why tragedies happen, but we do, we, we do know that God has his purpose. And in parent, I, put, I added sovereign plan. God, God ultimately has a sovereign plan, right? Even in those tragedies. Unfortunately, those purposes are not often revealed to us immediately, but may be revealed in some time. So you think about that perspective. All things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We don't know sometimes why these things happen. We can't explain it. But we should have the faith and confidence that all things work together for good. At camp this year, exciting, our theme for camp is Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. And we're doing different lessons based upon that. Excited to have all the different speakers be a part of that and just keep that camp ministry in prayer. It's, it's just such a, as you heard earlier, just such an amazing ministry. Um, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness is exceeds and overcomes the negative things in our life. What about when we're fearful? What about when we're afraid? What about when we're going through a trial? There's no need to be fearful. I, I, I was listening to somebody. I heard a message uh, on, uh, and, and he's, this pastor said, I think his quote was, Fear is silly, isn't it? You think about it? It's just silly. And uh, he what, was talking about the idea of being fearful and just like, why do we fear? We, you, you, you start thinking about all the different attributes of God. It, it kind of is silly if you think about it. I just thought it was a funny way to, to say it. It just makes no sense. And he even kind of laughed about it when he said it. But God goes before us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He goes before us and follows us. He's with us. And God, his goodness exceeds or supersedes the negative. What else? What's another thing, a principle about God's goodness? Well, we see his goodness is abundant. His goodness is abundant. In Psalm 145, it says, They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Um, I have here up on the screen, I think the NIV version gets it better here. It says, They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
God's goodness is abundant. It's not rationed. It's not limited. It is abundant. It's overflowing to us. We saw in our other verse that I had you look at at the start of the message here, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God is abounding, he's abundant in goodness and truth. In Psalm 33, 5, it says, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. His creation is full of the goodness of the Lord. Even beets and peas. Right? Even beets and peas. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So we see that God's goodness, it's the standard. God is the source of all goodness. It's expressed in his other attributes. It exceeds the negative. It's abundant. What else? It's universal. God's goodness is universal. Turn to Psalm 145. We have Bibles in front of us. We probably should turn there. I mean, I put a lot of verses on the overhead, but, you know, we bring our Bibles. Let's, let's turn there. Psalm 145. <clears throat> I think I might even have the verse up here, but I do. But I just, I felt like we needed to, I needed to hear those pages turning. Psalm 145, we talk about the fact that um, God's goodness is, is universal here. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Now, I could probably do a message on those three verses right there. Um, There's a lot there. God's goodness is universal. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He's good to all. Who are we that he should be so good to us, right? Right? I just talked about the fact that we're dirty, rotten sinners. But you think about God and his loving kindness, his goodness, um, and it's universal. The word all here in this psalm, chapter 145, is used 13 times in this psalm. And it's evidence that God's blessings, his goodness, are universal and absolute. I, I love this quote here as I was reading something from Wiersbe. It says, All of nature praises the Creator, with the exception of man, and he has the most to gain by worshiping the Lord. And I thought that was such an interesting quote. You think about nature exhibiting the praises or, or, or reflecting the praises to God, even just the, 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 bir- the birds, the uh, all, all of God's creation, um, the, just the, even a, just you think about weather events or her, just amazing weather events or, or you drive across and you see lightning, uh, heat lightning in the sky and you think about how that praises the creator. And um, it says in Psalm uh, 148.8, it says, Fire and hail and snow and clouds and stormy wind 
fulfilling his word. Um, all that is created by God. Now, some, sometimes this God allows these things to happen, and this praise might happen in a, in a, in a, a different way, uh, a more uh, destructive way from a standpoint of what some weather events can do. And we've seen even some of the rain that we've gotten lately is uh, you know, just the different flooding and things like that that are going on as, as, a, as a county uh, road engineer, I, you, you see some different roads that have washed out or underwater, and so you see some of these different things. And but ultimately, um, his, you know, this praise that would would happen by uh, his creative work and and some of these actions, it, it happens in a different way. But it's it's ultimately pointing back to how amazing God is and just even some of the, the things that he allows with the weather events and, and things like that. It's pretty amazing. We look back at, uh, again, this idea here that this passage, all your works, verse 10, shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Do I bless the Lord? for all his goodness? Do you bless the Lord for all his goodness? Do you praise the Lord for all his abundant goodness? Too often, I don't think we do. Or do you take the perspective of, well, boy, that happened to me. That is not really good. That stinks. Um, I just can't catch a break in life, right? Um, woe is me, I'm so oppressed, I, you know, boy, this is, I'm in kind of a tough spot here. You know, sometimes it's, I don't do, have to do a lot of research for these lessons to come up with things, thoughts like that. It's all front and center in my thinking, you know. It's pretty simple. Some of the times these messages kind of just write themselves, you know, it just comes like, yeah, I might be pouting or thinking about something or, um, <laughs> Usually with me, it's some sort of uh, uh, catastrophe or event, not even catastrophe. That's, such a, uh, that's a crazy word, but um, just some, some sort of event with my, one of my vehicles because I'm not a mechanic, you know, and so it's like, oh, geez, well, how's this, this going to work out, you know? So like I said, these, these lessons just write themselves. Am I blessing the Lord for his goodness? Am I thanking the Lord for his abundant goodness? Am I praising the Lord for his abundant goodness? Too often I'm not. And uh, I don't need to see a show of hands for who, who also probably does that as well, too. We, we all get consumed in our own lives here. In, uh, in 2 Chronicles 6.41, it says, And let your saints rejoice in goodness. Ultimately, that's where he wants us. He just wants us to be re- re- resting and relying on him and rejoicing in his goodness. Come what may, right? doesn't really matter what's happening around us. We just need to be thankful for his abundant goodness. And his abundant goodness is universal. It's given to all. It's given to everyone. What's the next one here? The, uh, the sixth point is God's goodness is the standard. It's expressed in his other attributes. It exceeds the negative. It's abundant. It's universal. And finally, God's goodness should motivate worship. So let's turn to Psalm 107. We're just a few pages back. Psalm 107. God's goodness should motivate worship. And again, I introduced this verse at the beginning. Um, what, a, what a great verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
for his mercy endures forever. And there'll be more on that next week. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are we redeemed of the Lord? Are we purchased with a price? If you're here and you're a believer, you're redeemed of the Lord and you're purchased with a price. Do you say so? Do you give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever? We should scream it from the mountaintops, right? Amen. We should, just, we should be so thankful for the fact that God is a good God. This psalm here speaks of uh, divine goodness toward, shown towards uh, the tired and bewildered traveler in verses 4 through 9, the enslaved captive, verses 10 through 16, the sick and the dying, verses 17 through 22, uh, shows goodness toward the seamen being tossed about in the sea of life, verses 23 through 32. And again, this is a great psalm. I would encourage you to read it. Um, but ultimately, in each of those little sections of this psalm, this verse is repeated in verse 8, 15, 21, 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The perspective is always give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and look at all these wonderful works he's performing for us or has performed for us. Ultimately, his goodness should motivate our worship. Do you give thanks to the Lord for his goodness? You look at how many times just in this psalm that the writer reminds us of that. Ultimately, we should taste and see that the Lord is good. Are we delighting ourselves in the Lord? Psalm 37, 4. Do we count our blessings? Name them one by one. God's goodness bestowed to us. That's his blessings. Do we count our blessings? Name them one by one. You take a look at these truths here. His goodness is the standard. Perfect goodness, its source is God himself. God's goodness is expressed in his other attributes. We saw that. It kind of weaves into all of his attributes. It's, his goodness supersedes the negative. It's abundant. It's universal. And it should motivate worship. Ultimately, you take a look at God's goodness and you think of the fact that Today we have, at the close of the service, we have the Lord's table. And you think about the fact that it's, it's kind of, it seems like every message you do and, and you do, we do our communion, every message seems to tie into the Lord's table because we are acknowledging or we are observing this as a remembrance of what Christ did on the cross for each and every one of us, paying the penalty that we deserved. And what a, what a great time as we think back to his primary act of love and goodness for us. We can spend just a few moments this morning looking at and celebrating the Lord's table.